Holy Father, we thank you for this chance to come and to consider your word that you've preserved for us and for your people throughout um, the ages. We pray that you'd help us to see why it's here for us and what it means and how it might change the way we think about your plan and your purposes. As always, we pray that truth would be spoken, and if there's any error spoken, that it would be corrected gently and in love, for it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Okay. I timed this really poorly, uh, as I told Isaac last week, in that um, you would have thought that I would have managed to work it out so that I could trap, so that I could, um, there we go, so that I could teach Genesis 12, but I really did not time it well at all. So we're in Genesis 10 today. Um, We're going to look at two pretty short sections um, from 10.1 to 11.26, which includes two genealogies. So um, that's why we'll be able to go that that far. Um, Yeah. Skepticism from Jonathan. So, um, in chapters 10 and 11, we have these two um, Toledotes. The next, remember, the whole thing is divided up into 11 sections, 10 of which are started by a phrase that's something like, These are the generations of, or this is what became of, or this is what happened to. Um, The Hebrew word for that is Toledot. This is the, this is. The, what became of this is the generations of okay so I've given you a handout um, which will save us a little bit of time the the big part of it is showing the uh, the genealogy which is a horizontal ge- genealogy showing sort of what happened to um, all of uh, Noah's sons and then their descendants and so forth. And then the other one down in the corner is going to show the, the line of promise in chapter 11, which Jonathan thinks we won't get to. Okay, so let's begin. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. Okay, so right from the beginning, the sons were, we have the title, of course, and then right after that, we have this, sons were born to them after the flood, which suggests what? What was the command given after the flood to Noah and to his sons? Yes, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? So it said, it said that, and you, be fruitful and multiply, team on the earth and multiply in it. Okay, so that's what it said in 9 7. Um, and so, maybe not surprisingly, um, sons are born to them. Jim, Ham, and Japheth, by the way, somebody wanted me to talk about the order of birth, but I don't really know why that would be. But the, the order of birth is, in fact, Japheth, Shem, and Ham. Okay, You can tell that by looking at 1021 and 924, but the order here is Shem, Ham, and Japheth because that's, um, really, because it's going to be the reverse order of what what uh, the author is going to write about. It is going to. It is a little chiasm, um, but I think that the normal order, if you have all three named, is Shem, Ham, Japheth. Even though that's not 
that's not even the reversed order. It's, it's Shem is in the middle. Okay, but yes, this next thing is going to be a chiasm. He's going to start with Japheth. Um, and in fact, he's going to start with Japheth, then he's going to go to Ham. He's getting them out of the way because Shem is the line of the promise. In other words, Shem is the... And you don't, you couldn't really see this yet, um, I think. But it, it's definitely something you know from other times we've talked. The line of the promise is this line from Adam all the way down to Jesus. Okay, And so that line is going to go through Shem, not Ham or Japheth. And you've, you've seen that, that Shem's going to be blessed. You've seen things about the blessings of Noah. You... You, you kind of got some idea of it. Well, that's where the line's going to run. So he's going to get Japheth and um, Ham sort of out of the way. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. By the way, the translations will have slightly different names sometimes because they choose to, to vocalize the, the consonants differently. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, Kittim, and Dodanim. From these coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own, from these the coastland people spread in their lands, each with his own language by their clans in their nations. So notice that each of these seven sons, um, which they, by the way would be the 12th generation from Adam. And then two of them, we find out the 13th generation. Now, what do you what do you notice about the names? We won't do this for every name, but I just want to briefly touch it. What do you notice about the names? Do you notice anything about the names? Right. Okay, well, you're going way down the line. Some of that is definitely true. Uh, the, the Magog, for example. Well, some of them are names of nations, right? <clears throat> some of the, the last two, Ketim and Dodanim, don't name your kids that. These are names for um, people groups, okay? The I-M is a, is a dead giveaway in Hebrew that it's a plural, okay? So those are names of groups of people, clans or tribes or or nations, or people groups, is what I just decided to say. But some of them are also um, pretty clearly place names. Magog, you, you recognize, but what about, what else? What's the other one that you should probably recognize? Tarshish. Tarshish, okay. So that's probably a place. Now, the fact that, that a name is a name of a place doesn't tell us that it's not also a name of an individual. I have no way of knowing. Obviously, Washington is a city, okay? But but George Washington was a person and this <coughs> or a state. Um, but George Washington was also a person and so it might have been named um, you know after somebody or he might have been the founder. I mean, uh, there's a lot of Alexandrias named after or because of or by who? Huh? Okay, it was so obvious. I, I just didn't know whether it was obvious because I got a lot of blank looks. So, and Alexander the Great, of course. So, all those Alexandrias are named after Alexander the Great. 
Rome as well. So lots of lots of those kinds of things. Now, at the end, it says this: from these co- these the coastland peoples spread in their lands, each with his own language. It's by their clans in their nations. So it's it's showing the spreading. Yes. Yes. Well, this is explaining this. This is t- telling this huge, long string of time in this genealogy. What what we're going to have is not really. It's not so much foreshadowing as we're going to have a flashback in chapter eleven. Um, but yes, that's right. This is this is looking forward to a time when there are languages, and you might have gotten at this point and gone, "Huh, I wonder why there are languages." But we'll see in a second. Okay, <clears throat> these people, if you look in the commentaries, they will give you a comment on every single one of these names where they archaeologically have gone and, and concluded that this must be the word that's related to this word that probably means the place here. And Okay, it wouldn't be worth it to do that here for us, but it is, um, if you are... I don't know why you would be interested, honestly. But if you were interested, you could look it all up. I'm not going to get all involved in that. Very quickly, we turn to the sons of Ham. Now, this is a longer section. Verse 6. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Raama, and Sabteca. The sons of Raama, Sheba, and Dedan. So here we get... Ham's son, Cush, <clears throat> and Cush's son, Rama, or Raama. I seem to have typed it two different ways. Um, and, and then Raama's sons, so we've p- penetrated down to generation 14 from Adam. Again, lists of names of individuals, names of places, names of nations. Um, you could look at these first four <clears throat> just as an illustration of what the commentaries do. Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. Cush is the area to the south of Egypt. Egypt is Egypt. You knew Egypt. Put is is traditionally thought of as being Libya. Um, And Canaan, well, you know Canaan, and you know that the first readers would have been very interested in Canaan, right? Because they're having to go into this land and push out the Canaanites, And that has been foreshadowed several times where we had the mention of Canaan. Okay. Cush fathered Nimrod. He was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erek, Akkad, and Kalna in the land of Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ir, Kalah, and Rezin between Nineveh and Kalah, that is the great city. So, wow, okay, we'll get to that in a second. Yep, well, that's, that's going to be the point. Do so you want me just to skip the next page of stuff? Since Jonathan has just given it away. Okay, well, Nineveh, uh, who is this Nimrod guy? Who's his dad? As far as you can tell from the text, who's his dad? Cush. Well, it's interesting because Cush had, we already had five sons listed. And then now we've got the sixth one. So 
already you can see, if you hadn't already figured it out, this is not absolutely complete. It doesn't intend to be complete. Um, the author wasn't trying to, to say these are all the people that were ever born. He's trying to say these are the these are these places and these are these people groups that you know of and that this is where they came from. Okay, so Nimrod. What is Nimrod? By the way, remember, whenever we have a genealogy and then the author stops, interrupts his genealogy, and tells you a story, we stop and pay attention to it, okay? We often have found that that can be an interesting thing. If we go up to Matthew, where we have whose genealogy? Oh, that's even easier than the Alexander the Great question. Jesus' genealogy, how does it get interrupted? Do you remember? What's the interruptions? The women, right. Whenever there's a female person in the genealogy, which was, would have been drastically surprising, um, that, that is the interruption that we're supposed to notice in Matthew. Well, anyway, that was free. That was just Matthew. That's not even Genesis. Okay, back to Nimrod. So Nimrod is, first of all, a mighty man, and he's a mighty hunter. And then he has a little phrase um, about him, which is great. You know, it's like his, his walk-up music if he was a baseball player. It's his, it's his tagline, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. Okay? We don't know anything really about Nimrod, although there's lots of legendary stuff and there's lots of speculation and so forth. But, but this is what we know about Nimrod. He's a mighty hunter. Okay? And he's the first of the, the great men that are in the earth. So... That, that's kind of interesting, but here's the really interesting part, is what Jonathan was pointing to. The beginning of his kingdom was, and now we have a list of names, in the land of Shinar. And what is Shinar? You don't know, maybe, but, but what would you guess? Yeah, it's Babylon. It's a, another name for Babylon. Okay. And then it said from that land, he went into Assyria. This would have been a good time for me to have made a map, but I didn't do it. Um, that land, he went into Assyria. So if, if you look at me for a second. Okay, so here's, here's the, right, we always do the River Jordan and the Sea of Tiberias and the Dead Sea. Okay, over here is Babylon. And up here is Nineveh, okay, or the Assyria. Okay, Babylon, Assyria. Okay, the city of Babylon, the city of Nineveh. Also, there's a city of Ashur, which is where they get Assyria from. There's also, by the way, um, some of these other names are also associated with people like Akkad. Um, there's a language that is known from tablets called Akkadian. So, Okay, so he tells this story. He says, this is the guy behind... Babylon and Assyria. Eventually, eventually, Babylon and Assyria are going to be extremely important for, for Israel. So this may have been the kind of thing where writing this down, the first readers would have gone, what? But, just like we do, right? What? But there were other, there were other believers along the way who, for whom Babylon and Assyria would have been very important. By the way, last week we were talking about, some of us were talking about Nimrod as, as used in modern colloquial English to be kind of a put-down, right? 
Um, and, and I guess Jason already knew all this. Where's Jason? Is he someplace here, right? He's drinking coffee? Okay. Um, well, he, he pointed out, and I think this is great, um, Nimrod is from uh, Bugs Bunny. That's what he called Elmer Fudd in one of those, one of those um, where, where Elmer Fudd is a hunter, right? He's going to hunt the rabbit. Um, and so the put-down is something like saying, oh, you are some Superman, buddy, or, or you know, you're real Don Juan, aren't you? Those are sarcastic. That doesn't grow out of the original story. The sarcasm is in the applying the name to somebody who it obviously doesn't apply to. So to call somebody a Nimrod now, if anybody did it, would probably be a put-down. But that doesn't mean there's something wrong with Nimrod in the Bible. It's just he was a mighty hunter and Elmer Fudd wasn't. Okay, back to Ham's sons simply to identify the people who came from Egypt. By the way, some of your translations may say Mizraim, which is the Hebrew name for Egypt. Egypt fathered Ludim, Ananim, Lehabim, Naft... I'm just doing this. I'm sight reading here. Um, I could have practiced. Nafutim, Pathrusim. By the way, what are all these? These are all clans. How do I know that? Im, Im. Okay, so Im's and Ites are going to be groups. Um, okay. Kaluhim, Kasluhim, sorry, and Kafortim. Kafortorim. Okay, so then now back to Ham's sons again, just to identify the people who come from Canaan. Canaan fathered Sidon, a town later. His firstborn in Heth, and the Jebusites, and the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinonites, Sinonites, the Arbatites, Arbatites, the Zimmerites, and the Hamathites. Afterwards, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed, and the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lysha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. So it ends more or less uh, the same kind of way. From whom the Philistines came. Yes, I think I was getting all excited about getting to say Kaftorim. Right, the Philistines came. So, of course, that's another one of those... um, you know, those groups that they're going to have problems with. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but we won't get to that till we get to First Samuel. Okay, so that selectively summarizes the movements of the Canaanites, um, and the author has now gotten Japheth and Ham out of the way um, so that we can focus on Shem, the godly line. To Shem, also, the father of all the children of Eber, now Eber... If you look at the chart, um, you can see Noah, Shem, Arphaxed, Shelah, and then Eber. So Eber's down the line. What does that sound like, Eber? Yeah, anything sound, does it sound like anything? Hebrew. That's probably where the word Hebrew comes from. Okay, so the father of all the children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth, the, the uh, children were born. Okay, 
Okay, well, just a second. I just realized that I just read a verse that sounds like what I wrote down before about the birth order was wrong. So forget everything I said before, but we'll just leave it up in the air. Isaac can solve that one. Looks like we're just going to kick that one down the road one more time, the birth order of the sons. Yes? Shem is Semitic. Yes, Shem is where we get the... Yeah, Semitic. The sons of Shem, you're going to recognize some of these too. Elam, Ashur, Arpachshad, Lud, and Aram, the sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Mash. I like that, Mash. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what Tim and Ali should have called um, Adam, I think. Mash. Don't you think that would have been good? Mash? Yeah, no, maybe not. Okay, Adam would be okay. Arpachshad. Fathered Shelah, and Shelah fathered Eber. So if Shem is generation 11, then Eber is generation 14. To Eber were born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in, the days, for in his days the earth was divided, because Peleg sounds like the word for divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. That sounds like a good name. Joktan fathered Almadad, Shelef, Hazar... Hazar Maveth, Jera, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Orphir, Havila, and Jobab, all of these were sons of Joktan. The territory in which they lived extended from Mesha in the direction of Sephar to the hill country of the east. Now, all this is not something that translates into our heads naturally. But if I started giving you a whole bunch of names of people and said that their territory extended from uh, Lexington, Kentucky to Nashville, you know, you'd get it. You'd get it. And so they would have understood a lot more of this just from the hearing than, than we can possibly understand. Like the Skinners? <laughs> from, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll tell you what, let, let's just hold it for now. We don't know, and Joan's pointing out, that I haven't explained. What does it mean for in his days the earth was divided? Well, we don't know. We don't totally know, and we don't know at all until I get to the next section. So we will. Okay, so he sums up Shem by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And then he sums up all of the clans of the sons of Noah. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their genealogies and their nations, and from the nation, these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. So, at this point, it looks like an obedient fulfillment of the command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Until we get to the next chapter, verse 1. Now, the whole earth had one language and the same words. And you're like, wait a second. Every one of those groups, it just ended up with saying, and they all had their own languages. And now this says that everybody had one language. This is, in fact, a flashback to before chapter 10. Chapter 10 is, us- that is usually called the Table of Nations. And then this little story is a flashback to before that hand. Because you might be asking yourself, how exactly did that happen? And if you only had chapter 10, you would go... I guess they're being obedient to what God had said. Turns out, not the case. 
Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. As people migrated, now this is either from the east or to the east, it's unclear, so that about half the translations say they go east and half the translations say they come from the east or they come out of the east. So, um, the, the, in fact, this is one of the odd places where the NAS and the ESV disagree. So, I don't know. It probably means they leave the ark and they go east, but the translations are not in agreement. They, Yes. It might be part. It's it's going to justify. It's going to explain the language problem. It doesn't have to be before ten. It could be part way in ten. Yes. Right. 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 Well, okay. So just to skip ahead and, and solve that problem, um, that's what some people think the. The earth was divided in Peleg is about. Okay. So you're right. It's not really literally before 10, but it is a flashback into into 10. Okay. So as the people migrated, I'll say to the east, they found a a plain in the land of Shinar. What's Shinar? Babylon. Thank you. And settled there. Okay. So now these people are in Babylon. And they said to one another, Come. Let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly, is what the ESV says. The Hebrew says something like this. Come, let us brick bricks and burning, burn them. Okay. What? Okay. Well, in Hebrew, to have the, the same word or a related word um, next to it intensifies the idea. So the, this making of bricks involves firing them. Why does it? Well, that's like, you know, like making pottery, right? You have to put it in a kiln and get it hot, right? Because if you make bricks out of mud, you ain't building anything, okay? I mean, it's just going to go, that's, that's going to happen, first rain. But if you fire them, then they can be hard, okay? And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And I think some of your translations might say tar for bitumen. Is that right? Yeah? Okay. So, instead of using stone and mortar, they're using brick and some kind of tar that they have to stick the bricks together. Okay? And that's apparently what they they do in Babylon. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, Hashemayim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Hashemayim, Haaretz. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So just just bit by bit, what is the goal that they have? They want to make a name for themselves. And, and secondly, not be scattered. Okay, so, so just step away for a second. This is probably not that they literally were going to build a tower that was going to stick up into heaven, you know, like, that's, that's probably not really what's going on. They're building, they're, in Babylon, we know this from later, we don't know this from this time, but it seems like the pattern later is a reflection of what their history had shown them. They would build a ziggurat, okay? And a ziggurat, you shouldn't imagine something like the Space Needle or 
Washington Monument or something like that. You should imagine, and you shouldn't imagine a pyramid with smooth sides, but think of this. What if I have a big, a big square that's, say, I don't know, 100 feet tall? So it's a big flat slab. I lay down there, square. And now the next square, I'm going to make a little smaller, but I'm going to stack it on top of the first square. And then the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. The tallest one, the highest one, rather, the highest one would be the temple. And that's the way Babylonians built their temples. They would do the, these layer cake things, getting smaller and smaller. You've seen some of these, but, but at least the ones that I think most of us have seen are the ones from Mexico. Yeah, who did something similar. But the, that's a zirat. That's what a zirat is. Okay. So if you imagine that, what they're doing is they're building this tower. They couldn't have built a, a straight-up tower, tower. Why could they not have done that? They couldn't have built something small like the Space Needle. How come? They didn't have any cranes. You can actually do it without a crane if you can go up through the inside and lay the bricks. But, but eventually, it's going to fall over, right? Yeah, so um, they couldn't have done that. But they could build this thing that got progressively smaller without having much chance of it falling over. Obviously, also, the, the, we could get Philip to come and give us a lecture on the strength of bricks and how tall you could build it and stuff like that. But. When you started, basically, it's a limit to how high you're going to get by how big your initial uh, square at the bottom was. That would be a big part of it, sure, that it wouldn't fall. It's just not like the Leaning Tower piece, in other words. That's, that's really all I was trying to get to you. They're not trying literally and foolishly to build into heaven as they're trying to put it up in the heavens, sky, same word, up in the sky where they're going to put their temple. Well, the point I get is instead of like most of the times you hear they built an altar unto the Lord, now they're building this unto themselves. Well, and, and there is this arrogance about this because what they're doing is we're going to do it the way we want to do it. We're going to worship the God we want to worship by building this temple on the top of the ziggurat, and we're going to stay here, right? Even though God says, spread. Okay. So, the, the error is not the building of the, the city or the tower, but the desire to stay in one place. And the Lord, and then, I'm sorry, verse 5, and the Lord came down, get it? came down. You notice that? They're building this tower. It's so so tall. It's up into the heavens. And God has to go down. What is that down there? That's, that's the joke that is in there. Okay? That's not just my joke. That's really there. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, there are one people. I, I bet that's henna. I didn't look it up, Joan, but it probably is. Behold, it's probably henna. They are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. By the way, that sounds a lot to me like God's reaction um, to the eating of the fruit. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So God is concerned about the unity in wickedness and the arrogance of what they're doing. And so his solution? We're to make it so that 
they can't understand each other. So now think about that for a second. If, if everybody speaks the same language, then it's relatively easy to cooperate, either for good or for evil. Um, and by the way, you know, that's, that, you should just think about it. The idea of community is a good idea, but it doesn't mean the purpose of the com- community is a good one. It could be a bad one. Okay, the, the Nazis were community. Huh? Gangs, okay, yep. Um, I thought he said Yanks, like he was making some snide comment about the Yankees, and I'm like, we're not having that. So, I'm glad to find out he just meant gangs. Okay. Or any cult, like the Red Sox. Right, okay, so go, go ahead. Um, so, it, the judgment is that they're not going to be able to understand each other. And if they can't understand each other, they're not going to be able to be so unified. By the way, if you think about this, any group will be more able to preserve itself if it doesn't have a common culture and language with other groups around it. That will be part of what it is for Israel. Okay, Israel will be separated from the nations around them of course, because they worship Yahweh, and of course, because they have the ceremonial law, but also because they speak different languages, at least in common, and they're physically separated. Okay, so, okay, again, I keep on running off on little rabbit trails, but that's about, that's what this is all about, is these rabbit trails. I cannot really see the clock. I have 10 minutes. Can somebody see the clock? Oh, great. Eight minutes. 20 minutes. Um, no, d- tell you what, let me let me bring it down to the end. Well, okay, go ahead, Jonathan. Uh, I, I, there's an implied mercy here. I think, yep, but I'm not there yet. Okay, right. okay. so God's solution is to confuse their language. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. Okay. The, that's a, that sounds the same. Balal, Babel. Okay, those words sound the same in Hebrew. And, we, and of course, we have a word, Babel, from it. So that's where we get that word. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So what happens? Exactly what they were trying to avoid. And exactly what God intended. God, but he, okay, but I, I'm really not there yet. There's a kind of a mercy. I want to say first this. God is not thwarted by human rebellion. God's purposes will be accomplished either by human obedience or through the events of human rebellion. And God sometimes overrules and overwhelms like he does here. He just reached in there and doesn't tell us how he did it, but it sounds like he reached in there and made it so they couldn't understand each other. And in that situation, they would tend to clump with the people they could understand. Sometimes he overwhelms. Sometimes he works through human choices, whether obedient or disobedient. But, and here's the mercy that I see, but we'll let Jonathan have a shot there. Everyone who is alive is alive 
because of the grace which God displayed at the flood. That's not what you were going to say. Go ahead. Okay. Well, the, I, okay. I guess that it, that would be a mercy. I guess that's right. I can't think of a reason that's not right. Um, the big mercy, though, is is being saved out of the flood, right? I mean, you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. That's the big mercy. That's the. Yeah. Um, secondly, what I said before, unity is powerful, but not always for good. God will not be thwarted. And then, if there's a miracle of scattering through the languages, there's later going to be a miracle of gathering despite languages. Mm-hmm. Where is that? Church. What now? At Pentecost. At Pentecost, um, as we see in Acts 2, these nations are brought together and the language barrier is overcome by the ability of um, the uh, the apostles to, to speak these various languages, okay? So there's a reversal that we, we can see from our perspective. Now, obviously, the first readers wouldn't have known this, but we can see it is, it is true that the um, in Zephaniah, there's also a similar event, it says, uh, where he's looking at the end. At, the t- at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech so that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Okay, so I think that's all very interesting. That's the undoing. Now, in the three minutes re- remaining, I actually can do this next thing, which I told you I would do. This next section is going to finish the ancestry of Abram down from Adam, okay? So if you look at this, it'll be a little easier to follow along. Look down here in the gray. What we've had before in Genesis 5 was the left column. Adam, Seth, Enoch, Enosh, rather, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, and then Noah's three sons, Shem being the relevant one. Now we're going to have this second column which you can tell because of the way I drew it, is very similar in many ways. There's ten levels, and um, the last level has three sons. Again, it's a Toledot section. It goes like this. These are the generations of Shem. Shem is the one who's blessed by Noah, right? When Shem was 100 years old, he fathered Arpachshad, two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he fathered Arpachshad 500 years and had other sons and daughters. The format is very similar to the format in chapter 5. Let me read um, Seth's 
out of chapter 5. And you look at Shem's out of chapter 11, and then we'll see what's different. When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. And after he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived 912 years, and then he died. By the way, you remember, I got to teach that genealogy too, right, Billy? Billy said, you can have all the genealogy. No, he didn't really say that. Okay, so what's different? What's different? Huh? What's missing? Some of the years are missing, um, but it's the end they die. Okay, the, the total of the years, and then the end they die, and he died. Um, now, of course, they all die, okay? But it's not the point of this. Um, I'll read you what the point is after I've read through the rest of these verses. But I'm just going to read them back to back because there's there's not a lot of... Oh, I'm, I see. The, the years are shorter post-flood. Yes. Well, Shem is 600. I mean, 600. Yeah, but they get shorter and shorter. When Arpachshad had lived 35 years, he fathered Shelah. And Arpachshad lived after he fathered Shelah 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah, Eber, Eber, Peleg, Peleg, Ru... Ru, Serug, Serug, Nahor, Nahor, Terah. When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abraham, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Okay, that's what we've been waiting for. That's what's been going on. The, the author is compressing many, many generations, 10 to be precise, into a very short space because he wants to get to Abram. If if you look at um, the chart of the whole book that I gave you at the beginning, this is the hinge, okay? Everything has been getting worse and worse and worse. It's just been a mess, okay? And now we're, things are changing. This is the pivot of the whole book. Before we had these long periods and 20 generations, and we compressed it all into 11 and, or 10 and a half chapters. Now, we're going to have a little bit more transition that Isaac will have to take care of. We'll have this transition, and then we're going to look for the rest of the book, much, much more than half of it, at four generations. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and and. It's interesting, the very end of it is going to be more about Joseph than Judah, but Judah is the line of the promise. But don't tell Billy that I told you that already. Okay. Previously we saw decline and death as sin spread and as human rebellions were destroyed or diffused, with only hints of God's redemptive work in the background. So, for example, the flood comes about because of intense, unchecked human evil, and God's redemptive work through the ark is comparatively local and small. Now we're going to take a different tact as we focus on one family's interaction with God. It will still be kind of mixed, as this family is not ideal or always very faithful, but it is clear that God's blessing is finding its way through to them. There will be one more change. Whereas Genesis 1-11 through tells the story of 20 generations from Adam to Abraham, Abram, 
Genesis 12 through 50 slows down dramatically. And then we're going to get stories. We're going to get straight narrative. Uh, this person said this. Now, of course, it's still not a biography. It's not the biography of Abraham of the sort that David McCulloch would write, which had everything that ever happened to Abraham. That's not the way it's going to be. It's going to still be selected. You should have learned that from the first part of Genesis. God, writer selects what he's going to tell. But it's going to be selective and much slower. More interesting as a story, but much slower. Okay, let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for this, your word. And we thank you for the fact that you preserved it for us and for others who have lived in, um, in your people. We pray that you'd help us to understand that you have control. And that in the midst of rebellion or obedience, whether ours or somebody else's, you are not thwarted in your purposes. You will bring about that which you desire. We pray that you would help us to be those who obey you and thus are used as servants and not those who disobey you and thus are used as tools. We pray that you would help us to look for your purposes and to follow them. For in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.